Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hi, this is Paul Handley. I'm the editor of the Church Times and I'm talking to Francis Martin, who this week was covering the General Synod. Francis, it, it was an unusual synod in that there was really only one topic, uh, and they met for the usual amount of time for a November synod, which was the three days from Monday to uh, Wednesday, but managed to talk most of that, spend most of that time talking about one thing. Um, do you want to give us a, a quick um, headline briefing of, of what that was about? Yes, of course. Thank you, Paul. So, Living in Love and Faith, the process by which the church has attempted to move towards some form of change uh, in its approach to people in same-sex relationships was the main topic. Um, It's arguably been the main topic for several years and was also the main topic in a a meeting of the Synod in February. Uh, To a large extent, it felt like deja vu from that February meeting. Uh, The discussion was broadly around the same topics. There had been some movement on some of the um, implementation, but broadly speaking, it was a rerun of a lot of elements of that debate. Uh, what was stru- struck me was that both the opening speakers, the, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Bishop of London, concentrated mainly on the, the process of agreement. Um, they, they weren't talking particularly about the substance of, of the business, but about how, um, especially after years of discussions and reports and and, and a, a long book and booklets um, and so on, uh, designed to help the church come to a, a, a wider, more tolerant, more nuanced understanding of same-sex relations, that that um, they were they were saying this is a, an exercise in living with people with whom one disagrees because that's what the christian should christian church should model to the rest of the world do you think there's any sign of that in the rest of the debate after they'd they'd sat down yes and no i mean i think that desire that was articulated really explains why we were having this rerun in effect of of a lot of elements of, of february's debate in that in february certain things were agreed um that prayers, the, what's called the prayers of love and faith, blessings for same-sex couples would be brought in. That was agreed in February, and here the question was really about how they implement that. In many ways, there was no need for that debate um, in, this, in, in any practical terms. The, the synod doesn't actually really play a role in what the bishops uh, are able to commend, for example, in, in terms of those prayers. So the reason we were there was for that purpose, to try and get a bit more unity around the direction that's going to be taken. It reminded me a little bit of the Brexit process. February was was like the referendum. And then, as you'll recall, after the Brexit referendum, there was this period where people started to realise they didn't quite know what the referendum required, you know, what sort of Brexit was necessary. Uh, And there was all sorts of possibilities of other um, 
other votes and, and political arguments within parties, that sort of encapsulates what was what's been going on over the last nine or ten months in the Church of England. That an agreement was made, but the ways that that agreement could be implemented were still in discussion. And this synod was an attempt to get some unity about how that happened. I don't think it necessarily achieved that with any resounding clarity, though. Okay, I mean, I, I think that it, it's a discussion for another time about the the nature of government by synod. Uh, I think underlying a lot of this is is quite a deep questioning of of whether synodical government i.e. vote by majority is going to carry on working in the future on, on issues such as this because that sort of governance expects the minority to argue well up to the vote and then after the vote to accept the, the result whereas the the idea that once there's been a vote things are done and dusted um, clearly isn't the case because as you say we we, we were in that position in February and and we've had to have November again. But tell me, uh, the, there was a substantial change. Um, the, the the main motion was very, very general, saying um, uh, we as a synod basically expect the the bishops to carry on working on this in, a, in their own time in a sort of vague way, but with our sort of general approval. But there were various amendments that were tabled to, to uh, alter that amendment. Um, and the Bishop of Oxford's amendment was the one that was accepted. And what difference has that made? It's made a big difference on a couple of different counts, I think. So, I mean, firstly, the amendment was for standalone services for the prayers of love and faith to be trialled at the same time as they start uh, the long uh, synodical process uh, by which they sort of receive permanent authorization. Now, that was something that had seemed to be on the cards a few months ago, for, at least from my attempts to sort of read the runes as to, as to what the uh, bishops were, were considering. There was some surprise and a lot of concern uh, among those who support the introduction of prayers when that uh, was announced that that wasn't going to happen last month after a meeting of the House of Bishops, where we know the bishops voted uh, narrowly to proceed straight to the full synodical process without a trial period. So the fact that that's now come back in uh, was accepted to the amendment and the motion so was accepted to the motion and the motion passed means that standalone services will now happen. It's a little bit unclear exactly when the House of Bishops needs to meet again in December. We'll presumably vote to instruct the two archbishops who have the authority to authorise uh, this trial period and to go ahead. But we don't know exactly when that will happen. So that's still a moot point. But the other sense in which the uh, Bishop of Oxford's amendment was really vital and, and, and is going to be discussed a lot is the narrowness of the vote. In the House of Bishops and the House of Clergy, it passed with a, a bit of a margin, the kind of margin we, we would expect after February's vote. But in the House of Laity, it was incredibly close, 99 
to 98 with two recorded abstentions. And that's something that those who oppose the implementation of the prayers have mentioned a lot in discussions uh, after the Synod and actually mentioned quite a lot in the debate, saying, is this the way that we should be making decisions on such a knife-edge vote? I mean, uh, we, we probably ought to just um, clarify this business about standalone, standalone services. I mean, we weren't talking about them in February, as far as I can remember. Um, it, it's come up quite recently. The, the idea that the prayers of, of love and faith might be used in the middle of an ordinary service, which which makes no sense to anybody, as far as I can tell. But the, the idea of a standalone service is that it would look like a wedding. I think that's the, that's the main the main worry from the Conservatives. It, it's you're using the prayers in a, a special service that that is of, of blessing that will have all the potentially all the bells and whistles of a of a, a, of a full blown wedding, and that's 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 why there's been a lot of concern about this and why suddenly we're talking about standalone services and as as in addition to something that nobody's really particularly clear about um that's 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 right isn't it francis yes absolutely and and that was an interesting process by what by which that happened uh, initially forms of service were part of the package of prayers that were that were put forward in in february and at some point in all the discussion groups uh that have that have followed over the last eight nine months those have become separated and um, i think you're right i think the a main factor is this concern among some that it, they will look like weddings we know there was a, a meeting of the house of clergy in which um there was much discussion of whether people would be allowed to wear dresses and uh, we, or um exchange rings and could there be confetti? So there was this uh, concern, I think, about the aesthetics of, of a wedding and, and whether it would look like the uh, Church of England was doing same-sex weddings um, rather than services of blessing for same-sex couples. I think yeah. there's also another factor here, though, which is this legal challenge or the threat of legal challenge. And I think that's loomed quite large over a lot of the decision making over the last nine months. Can you say some more of that? Yeah, indeed. So what we know is that a group of representatives from certain um, organisations, from evangelical wing of the church, as well as from the traditional Catholic wing, have been writing to the archbishops, to the house of bishops, asking them to put the prayers um, forward up for uh, implementation, um, implementation under the, the full synodical process, Canon B2, and arguing that if they do not follow this process, the church will be opened up to legal challenge. Now, it's a little bit unclear exactly what the nature of that legal challenge would be, what kind of court it would be in. You know, these have been, were, were private letters that have, have, you know, were leaked and, and, and we've published in the Church Times. So there is a, um, yeah, there's, there's a, a lack of kind of clarity exactly what the legal challenge uh, would involve. But again, from, from documents I've seen, we know that this is something that the, the House of Bishops has been concerned about. Um, and the thinking is that a more stable footing for authorization under Canon B2 or experimentally under Canon B5A would hopefully 
pre-stool that kind of legal challenge rather than the original expectation which which was that the prayers um, and the services as they were all lumped in together at that point uh, would be commended under canon b5 um, which doesn't have this kind of long authorization period it's uh, it's 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 merely the house of bishops uh, states that these these this uh, these prayers aren't contrary to the doctrine of the church of england and and therefore priests are free to use them at their discretion yeah uh, one of one of the legal issues is is that the conservatives are worried that um priests who decline out of conscience to conduct such services will be will be susceptible to um discrimination uh, legislation if there isn't a tightly locked down permission system through the the, the, the synod. Probably the implications of all this uh, uh, would be a good topic of conversation um, on another occasion. Let's let's just stick with this synod. What has taken place in the synod this week has been presented by um, one of the camps as being a battle for the truth of scripture and they they conclude by the end that the synod has abandoned following scripture and is uh, is simply following the the mores of the times have you seen any robust sort of response to that or is has the liberal or central part of the of the synod are they just sort of taking it on the chin i think there's a degree of of taking it on the chin in the sense that if we look at it in the crude terms of, of winners and losers, the side that support the introduction of the prayers have won. You know, they narrowly got the amendment through the motion passed. And so the, you know, what, what they wanted to happen is is almost certainly going to happen. So I think there is a sense that they're slightly happier here um, and therefore perhaps don't need to respond as vociferously to those claims. I mean, the the sort of the central line, as it were, that, for example, the Bishop of London, who is has been um, chairing the implementation process, uh, and who I spoke with immediately after the debate, you know, the, really echoes what you mentioned at the very start about the Archbishop of Canterbury's speech, talking about the need for unity. Obviously, that they deny that doctrine has been changed. The the motion that was passed in February including an amendment which made explicit that there was no change in the church's doctrine on marriage. Um, and that view remains remains the same in terms of abandoning scripture. And we, we then get into all the all the arguments about scripture, which we had and we had on the floor of Synod and people have been having for decades, centuries, perhaps. So and yeah, that those responses are out there, certainly. But I think in general that the a, a lot of the noise post-Synod has come from, from that side who feel aggrieved, who feel that uh, the Church of England has abandoned them um, and that is moving away from, from its historical roots, is their, their view. Even though this has always been um, permissive legislation, um, that it's, it's not imposing um, uh, anything on, on anybody, um, it's simply... Um, permitting those clergy who in conscience believe that same-sex relationships can be blessed can perform that sort of blessing in in their own their own parishes yes absolutely but the 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 issue as they see it i think is is this problem of association is and this is really at the heart of the cause for 
structural differentiation, as it's termed, some sort of settlement, uh, perhaps akin to that which was introduced over uh, women bishops, that would sort of clearly separate those who um, want to use the prayers and those who don't. Um, there were a couple of amendments that called for that, which uh, were defeated in, in the Synod vote. But that remains the sort of central core of those conservative groups that you mentioned who, who have protested in the aftermath of Synod and are still calling for that. Um, and, there's, and there is significant, if not majority, support for that within the House of Bishops as well. So it's not inconceivable that that will still come back into play as we carry on with this process. It's, it's, it's not over yet. In some ways, I think it's probably still just beginning, um, which is a slightly... Um, unnerving thought if if <laughs> one is one is required to cover synods for the uh, foreseeable future yes well uh <laughs> very very grateful for you doing it francis so it's probably a good place to stop thank you very much indeed thank you paul thank you for listening to this week's episode of the church times podcast you can find more news analysis comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk if you are not yet a subscriber to The Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.